Welcome to an episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, this week, I'm catching up with Hobart-based artist Johnny Scholes. How you going, Johnny? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for uh, coming on. This has been a, a long time in the making. It has. I think um, the first time was, we talked about it was 2018 at the Winston in the pub. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had a good yarn then and we've had a, I don't know, I feel like every time we um, we catch up, we get pretty deep and in the weeds pretty quick. So yeah, always look forward to call from you. Ah, likewise, mate. Likewise. So how, how are you going? How's, how's, uh, how's life in, uh, in Hobart? Yeah, look, um, it's pretty, yeah, it's good at the moment. Um, I've just come off the back of a, of a show and um, kind of, there's a, a bit of a mistake. I kind of squeezed, squeezed in sort of two shows pretty quickly this year and um, sort of started selling a lot more of my work online and I don't know, things are leading to things. And I'm, I, yeah, I, I feel good because I've been juggling like a lot of things for a long time. Um, and my art's often been the, been the thing that's, that's suffered, but it's, uh, yeah, I sort of really feel like I'm making good time for it and making progress. And that's like, yeah, I've been sort of wanting to make art full time for like almost 20 years. So at night, it's really a nice feeling. It's good. It's sort of hard to feel like and say you, you think you're doing well. Like this last show I had, like I had so much good feedback that I, I it must be good, but it feels pretty weird to say it. <laughs> That's great. That's great news. Um, yeah, because I've always known, I've known you through a variety of like different projects and things like that. Um, but you've you've always like lived off art one way or another, haven't you? Yeah, that's it. I mean, I guess like I've always been an artist and a programmer, and I've always tried to make my software development more like art, and my art more like my programming. Um, you know, I've worked. My first job was kind of in like a, a tech slash design agency. Spent a lot of time building that up with some really good friends of mine. Um, so that's you know that's definitely creative, and we really tried to be um creative and sort of at the edge i guess we're all interested in that and then but then like i guess like i've grown up with art as like a pillar in my life since day one both my parents my um mum's an author dad was a, a filmmaker um my nan was a, a painter i went to a steiner school when i was young in primary school and they put kind of art and creativity like it's sort of in everything you know like you you're doing maths but you have to make nice borders for your maths books first and um i don't know yeah so it's, art's always been a really core pillar it's not really like i've never really had a job because like i just do stuff that i really like and sometimes i get paid for it and sometimes i don't which is like is a massive luxury i'm really privileged to be able to say that but yeah yeah that's the way to do it it's the um like i've thought about that a lot i've you know spoken a lot about it on on this podcast as well like i just couldn't uh, now that I'm up, off and running, uh, you know, doing my own projects, you know, running my own business, I uh, I just could never go back and work for the man. <laughs> I know that one way or another I can work out how to make money. <laughs> That's it, yeah. I mean, yeah. push comes to shove, like, you know, of course I, I would, but I guess, um, yeah, I'm, I've worked for other people before and it's all like, you know, it's always been good, but it's always been in, in a fairly, like, mutually respective or, a respectful arrangement where we both know that like I work best by having a pretty long leash I guess <laughs> hmm. um and that's good I can't I don't I've never had a job where I could have a job description you know that's um, pretty good yeah the last the last like job job I had was working for the unconformity festival and um 
we just sort of I just started getting called the uncoordinator because I just did so many different things and that was great like um yeah I like that having said that it does come with its mental load overhead for sure um that's something that you know I think maybe now that I'm not in my 20s uh, I know I'm still young but like I feel like in your 20s you can juggle 100 things and work a 100 hour week and still have time to you know love your family love your partner and all that but as time moves on that does get harder so I'm trying to prioritize and I'm prioritizing my art first now for the first time yeah that's great so what does that look like for you you just you go to the studio every day or like what's what's it looking like yeah I'm in my studio every day um I'm lucky because like the I you know I also um run like a street art organization down here called Vibrance and that's all in the same space so I come to my you know my studio and I can you know I can be working on a painting and you know handling people coming in for meetings and all that sort of stuff in one space and that works really well um so yeah I guess like a, a day for me looks like coming into the studio and I do some admin first and then I'll it'll either be a day full of like art related stuff or it'll be a day full of uh vibrance related stuff um and you know vibrance related stuff is everything from you know negotiating with councils about upcoming mural projects to stacking paint shelves to um yeah i don't know having meetings with artists who want to know how they could be you know applying to our programs better or, or whatever um yeah and then i guess a day in my art field is it sort of depends my art practice is kind of it's kind of two main streams that have always been sort of bouncing off each other it's either very computer centric it's like writing code that creates art or it's painting um you know my background is like as a graffiti artist and then a street artist i guess depending on how you define those things um so that's either me out exploring drains like and that kind of thing or it's sort of trying to translate those i guess that practice sort of kind of built up painting drains and walls kind of onto canvas yeah so yeah there's drains running all under hobart isn't there yeah yeah well there's there's like one big drain system and then lots of smaller ones that come off from that um and then there's but i mean hobart's like a really hilly place um so it depend like depending on how big you want your drains like they're kind of everywhere that's sort of like um we've got a few laneways here but like not a heap but certainly like a lot of graph culture down here happens under bridges and kind of in um, like stormwater infrastructure and that kind of thing um and water towers i guess as well but um yeah so i spent a lot of time exploring those getting onto google maps terrain view finding where like a road meets a, uh, a river and then just sort of jumping in the car on my, on my own or with some friends and just trying to go and check it out and see what's there it's amazing like how still you know i've been painting 15 years um and we're still like finding new spots that are like in inner city suburbs <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like it is you know it's amazing how much infrastructure is out there when you go looking yeah uh, do you think this has had a, um having spaces like this to paint has um really helped the hobart scene yeah yeah i mean i think it's, it's a pretty small scene here like it the hobart scene moves in waves it's like i don't know what it's like living in melbourne but in Hobart, it only takes one or two people, you know, doing doing good work and really, you know, pumping, and then the whole scene kind of gets back together. Um, it goes both ways too. Like it only takes one or two people to be, I don't know, like 
running a muck and then the kind of the, 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 the scene can go a bit negative for a little while too but um so yeah i mean we've we've definitely thrived in like all those sort of forgotten places um but yeah i think it's not like the scene's consistently getting bigger this this i guess i'm talking about like illegal graffiti and street art here the scene's not getting consistently bigger at one year like like last year was a banger year down in hobart there was a, so many people painting so many people pushing style people who were like they were really driven not just to to get up and paint a lot but was you know really to like make their own style and like play with new techniques um it was yeah it was like i haven't seen it that hot for a few years but then this year it sort of died off a little bit um and i don't know there's no real rhyme or reason but yeah it's it's a small scene so yeah it doesn't consistently get bigger maybe yeah mm. and, and and with um with vibrance and where your studio is do you do you sell paint out of there as well is that right yeah 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 I'm that, what's that being, like uh being uh, that person in the scene <laughs> <laughs> oh it's like my my dream i never knew i had as a mm. 16 15 year old like you know i'm just like, like my studio is literally i've got a bunch of those big shelves from bunnings and that's like what we've made our shop out of so three walls of my studio is is like the back of the paint racks so like i'm kind of lit literally kind of sort of living in a fortress of paint which is pretty bloody cool but it's complicated too you know because street art and graffiti has got you know some some rough edges and um i don't know everyone asks your opinion about stuff um and yeah, so you kind of got to keep your head low. It's definitely like, yeah, you've definitely got to acknowledge that there are maybe, I don't know, there are things you kind of maybe can't do anymore. Like, um, like I probably wouldn't consider joining a new crew at this point, for example, you know, because like that'd just be really complicated. <laughs> yeah, um, I've got my old crewmates that will still hang out and stuff. Um, we paint together, not really under a crew anymore, but um yeah just things like that you know it's um it'd be weird because we're kind of the only paint shop now there used to be rough cut records you know they supported the scene for a long time um um but they kind of moved off more into music and that kind of thing so yeah the the, the funny thing is is that now i understand that we, we at rough cut records there were some people who used to work there and they used to get so annoyed at me coming in after school and like just like standing around talking and um i got so much out of that like i kind of really felt like i had a sense of place in a community a lot from that you know i had some some mental health struggles as as a teenager that kind of pushed me into graffiti and that kind of thing but going about it got, being able to go to the local shop and just sort of find some space was really important having said that i kind of now know like when people are in a shop like they've actually got work to do <laughs> so that's kind of you know that's an interesting one because like we get people coming in and you know we try and make sure we give people you know our time and, and respect because Graffiti and you know street art culture is definitely like a refuge for a lot of people. Um, people kind of turn to it or, or kind of get pushed to it as a way to escape. So that's definitely something to try and recognise. But um, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand their frustrations now, fifteen mm. years later. Yeah, but also when you're young, it's uh, hard to understand what you know the what people are thinking while they're at work. You know, like yeah. if you haven't ever worked, like I know I did it. I even did it as an adult to artist friends of mine. You know, you go hang out at their studio a bit too much because I didn't have my own. You know, things like yeah. that. You yeah. and until you're in that situation, you don't understand. So, oh, totally. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. I don't know. Like, 
not not necessarily in retail, but like in a lot of kind of more arts sector jobs, like people are sitting in galleries and they might be getting paid a little bit to do that, but they're also like that's paying for them to do their like arts PhD or like to write applications for a council job or to do some graphic design stuff. Like artists often rely on that kind of nothing time in spaces to get other stuff done. <laughs> and um, it's the flexibility of the arts world that kind of can give them that. Um, mm. You know, you wouldn't get that working for McDonald's or, <laughs> or, or I don't know, like some gaming shop or whatever. But um, yeah, it's important. Totally, totally. Mm. So um, what... you me- you mentioned earlier you've been uh you've been uh just had an exhibition open, uh yeah. called Interpreted. Um, like that looked really interesting, and uh, it was a real like um, no, it was really different from anything else I've seen you do. Uh, can you um tell me a bit more about that? Definitely um, quite left of field. I don't think anyone is, was expecting me to produce a bunch of tapestries, but I guess um, like I alluded to earlier, like I've I'm known for my street art and my painting. That's like what's you know obviously it's super it's hyper public, but I've always been as much in my own mind like a new media artist, like writing code that creates art. Um, and interpreted is is kind of a new media project. It's actually a, it's a body of of sixteen tapestries, um, and the way they work is that I basically wrote a computer program that looked through all of the news that was shared each month. And then for each day in that month, it took all the news from that day um, and sent that to a, a text generation AI tool and got it to summarise it into a couple of sentences. So at that point, it's sort of making deci- decisions about what's important, you know, what can go in that summary. And I took that summary and sent that to a image generation tool and created a new image that sort of represented that day. And then the, the kind of the, the program sort of pulled those images for the month together, 30 or so for each month, and put it into an overall design and then autonomously sent that off to be woven and then that would get delivered to my studio a few weeks later so and then what we had is basically a tapestry kind of that resembled a you know a medieval era tapestry that kind of represented the important events of that month so it's kind of like a a documenting project but it's also kind of inspecting the use of artificial intelligence across the board but particularly in in you know news generation and news dissemination um and i guess it's also these ai models are trained on you know the most of the internet so it's kind of reflecting back at us like what we see as important in a way um yeah so like i said a very left of field project for me but well from as far as other people are concerned but um it does follow on kind of quite directly from some some work i've been doing over the years yeah totally um yeah i really like uh like these uh conceptual like um you know, artworks you've been making. Like I saw that, uh, you know, you had others on your your website that you've yep. been um been been doing. But you seem to be a very uh conceptual thinker at the same time as um being out there and painting on the streets and doing yeah. stuff like that. Do you see them as being like two separate ways of approaching your art? Honestly, I really struggle with it. It's and I think that's kind of a good thing because it kind of means I just go in unexpected directions, but. Like on the one hand, I love purely abstract work, and in a lot of my new media work, generative work, um, you'll just be, you know, as abstract as it can get. You know, colours and lines, and um, perhaps making something beautiful, but not conceptual at all. Likewise, like my traditional graffiti-based work, hardly really even includes lettering anymore, so is also extremely abstract. Then on the other hand, in my street art, I do all these rep- rep- repetitious masks. 
that are very form based. Um, and then and then I also do like sculptures, you know, in situ out in the world that are um, using masks and then, you know, recycled material and stuff. And they're all quite form based. So I don't know, I've kind of got this like circle in my head that goes from abstract, full abstraction to like completely conceptual. And then everything I do is just sort of somewhere on that that wheel. Um, and yeah, it's it can be a struggle to rationalize it. I actually like I use this mind mapping software called Heptabase. And I've been like using that for a few months now to kind of like every time I have an idea, I actually actively try and sit down and categorize of where does that fit in this sort of kind of matrix of, of what my art is. Um, yeah, which has kind of been an interesting process. Uh, but I guess like one of the things that was quite, I think quite um, worked quite well with the interpreted show is that it brought probably the first show that brought all those elements together. It was really conceptual. Um, and, you know, even just describing it made people go, oh, that's interesting. And then they'd want to come and see it. Like they just thought the idea was interesting without even having seen it. But the immediacy of the works was very disarming and like very like tactile. Um, there was some beautiful abstraction as you got closer to these images that have been um, generated by AI, but then abstracted by my algorithms to sort of create them, to create a color palette um, and then like woven, like there's sort of these like this process of like removing information from these images that just get beautifully abstract. So the closer you get, the more abstract you get to these tapestries, the closer you get. But the further you come away, the more you can kind of see what's in the images and understand what the events of each of those days are. So like, I was really happy with it because it kind of hit all three. It was like the object was immediately a beautiful and attractive, regardless of understanding. It had conceptual interest, but it also was true to my own aesthetics. Um, so yeah, it's like, I think on the face of it, it looked really divorced from all of my work that I've done, but um, if you sit here and let me explain it, then it kind of makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So with the uh, with the overall layout of the tapestries and the and the color palette, like mm. did you did you have to you have a hand in that, or was this um, AI doing this? So I have a hand in it insofar as like I wrote the code that created them, and so they're not entirely AI generated. I use AI twice in sort of fairly discrete ways. So the AI does two jobs: it it, it creates the text that represents what's important on a day. And then it creates an image um, that that represents those events. But then what I do is I like I abstract. I kind of write my own algorithms that then pull color information from the overall body of works to create a color palette. And then I apply that color palette, kind of like you would like. It sort of looks a bit stencilly. Um, I don't know if anyone's like got an image and tried made a sense out of it by playing with the levels and the contrast and you know posterizing it and stuff it kind of looks a bit like that so it's like a grid of images like a calendar grid of images that look like that but they've got a, a kind of a a um a kind of a, a sort of dirty dusty color scheme applied and then around the edges there are these sort of more abstract bits of work so each of those um that edge is kind of hearkening back to uh medieval tapestries where the the weavers were given the opportunity to kind of be more creative at that point it wasn't part of the meaning of the tapestry and so I like likewise I wanted to mirror that so I created created little pieces of generative art which is where I create like a an algorithm like a mathematical algorithm that then I put in some parameters and it creates like um sort of like maybe fractal like images might be the kind of thing that people could 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 conjure up without looking at them anyway so I create a bunch of those and I use those to then make the edges 
and then I have some other design elements. So um, mm. then it comes together into yeah, into the tapestry. It's kind of they're sort of hard to describe. Yeah. <laughs> I recommend anyone jump on uh, Johnny Johnny's um, Instagram and have a look because they're they're truly beautiful. You did a great job with them. I just love love the colors, the layout, like everything. They're really really strong pieces. And it was, as as I said earlier, it was um, uh, I I wasn't expecting to see these come out of you. Um, and yeah, it was exciting to see. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah, they're all, they're kind of all about seating control. Hmm. That's sort of what I was trying to do, like create an environment that probably looks good, but some of them don't look as good as the others. So yeah, yeah. Has um has exhibiting been a big part of your art career? Yeah, it's it's funny. If you'd asked me this question a few months or maybe six months ago, I kind of would have said no. Um, but like when I when I was reviewing all of this, actually, kind of for this podcast, but also a little bit over the time, I have yeah, I've been exhibiting since I was fifteen in a way. Like, and you know, a lot of people would look at, like my first show was at a, at a local cafe, but. It was with a, a stencil artist friend of mine and we made like 40 um, artworks on records and put them up and it was like I look back at them and go yeah like that was definitely like high school art but it was also like I learned a lot through that um, and if, if I count all those sorts of shows then yeah I've probably exhibited 15 or 20 times since then but I, in my mind until fairly recently I kind of discounted all that as like just like younger amateurish stuff but I've kind of reframed it over the last six months as actually, you know, that's all part of my journey and that's, it's actually really important and that the learnings that I had from that show or like the group show when I was 16 or me and a mate of mine put, put on a, um, a show at a local skate shop when we turned twenties, which was all about like, we're no longer teenagers now, but we're still kind of rat bags. Like I learned a lot about how to make a show interesting then. And now my work's more refined, but, wouldn't be able to be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't done all those. So um, they're all in my CV now. They weren't six months ago, but I thought the other few weeks ago, I was like, I sold it. <laughs> if someone wants to judge me for including, you know, the shows that I did when I was 15, 16, and I don't really want to work with them. Mm. Well, really, they are just, um, they're just lines of text, unless yeah. people were really familiar with the location. It shows you being productive. Because I found that even when I was working, I first found this when I was a freelance graphic designer, that I was really um, always trying to build up my CV and my folio. And you've got to, straight out of uni, you've got to just start with what you got. You, you mm. know, nothing, you got uni projects. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And so uh, I've always, um, and, you know, then becoming an, a full-time artist as well, b- building the um, art CV up, it's the same thing. And you just, you work with um, what you've got. And those early shows are, are really important because... You know, you learn a lot. It doesn't matter if it's in, uh, you know, a cafe or or whatever. Like even right. just learning how to hang your artwork, present it properly, all that type of stuff. It's a um, it's a process, and it's uh, it's like um, you know, running a marathon one step at a time. You know. Oh, totally. That's right. It all it all counts. Um, I think because because like I'm I'm self taught. I didn't didn't go to uni. I I tried to do a computer science degree, but. I didn't get good enough marks at the first exam, so I left. Um, and I don't know, I guess I look at a lot of that stuff now and look back at it and go, oh, well, that kind of, in a way, it was a different type of education. Like I was in in studios with, you know, fairly well-known local artists from the age of um, 17. Like I had a studio space in um, TV house down here. Um, and I learned so much from that as well. Like, you know, people who had, you know, 
um, a few years older than me, people who were 10, 15 years older than me. And they were all kind of mentoring me whilst I was doing these shows. And, um, you know, I had access to different mediums. And it's, you know, I look at that now and it's, and I think about my friends who've gone to art school, um, which, by the way, I think is great. Like, I'm not, there's no judgment on, on how people get places, but, but there certainly is judgment out there from institutions about whether or not you've been to art school or not. And I find that frustrating. So now I am. Um, actually actually at the at the end of my cv i have a little statement which is like look i haven't haven't been to art school but i've done all these things which i think amounts to being like being at art school um i don't know if that helps or, or hurts but it's the truth and um yeah it's probably good <laughs> yeah i don't think it's essential these days like i i, I always thought like, i didn't go to art school but then i realized that i, I went to design school which is pretty much the same mm. thing mm. but um i don't think it's essential but i think it helps you know, uh, and I think that there are opportunities that it's kind of like, like I'm a, I'm a pretty good software developer, um, but like I couldn't get a job at Google um, because I don't, you know, I don't have a degree. And likewise, like there are certain grant opportunities that say you have to have a, a university degree there. Are, um, and like, like I agree, it's not, it's not a must, but like you're, you're able to move, th you're able to move through life more easily if there are more doors that can be open. And, you know, by not having a degree, then, yeah, some of them are going to be shut. But at the same time, like, it probably also closes some doors by going to uni. So, I don't know. It's um, it's something that I, I have come up against a couple of times, and it is frustrating. So, um, particularly maybe in the conceptual art world, you know, um, I think there's still a little bit of hoity-toitiness um, that's yeah. still hanging around. But, hey, that's right. Yeah. Well, you can either go to uni or you can say, stuff it. I'm going to go go <laughs> move forward anyway. <laughs> oh, totally. And it's both great. Like, you, I think it's just, you just got to do what, like, you really enjoy. And, like, what can you sink? Like, what can you sink 100 hours a week into in your 20s and actually, you know, get to hour 80 and go, fuck it, I'm going to do 20 more because I really love this. Like, that's, you don't get, you don't get those years again to do something like that. Yeah. And like I'm sure you can do it at other ages. Sorry, that's maybe a bit ageist of me, but like yeah. I think um yeah, whatever allow whatever you're so passionate about that you will you will stay up all night, all day working on, do that. Um it'll you know, it'll hopefully work out. <laughs> well, I think that's the secret to life, isn't it? Doing what you really love. You know? Yeah. And yes. uh and I think if if you know, if you really got passion for something, you'll You'll make it work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think another thing that I that was really good for me was was getting involved in like another area that complemented being a creative, like you know, working at a design agency. Uh, I was a software developer there, but I did a lot of user experience design, and I worked really closely with the designers. So, like, I learned a lot about design. I learned about running a business. I learned about tax. I learned about all these things. So now, like, you know, over the last sort of two years, as I've really tried to transition into being an artist, like. A lot of those things just come as second nature to me. You know, oh, I need to make a nice looking presentation. Oh, I need to do my tax. Like they're not things I have to worry about. So they don't contribute to my mental load and bleed into my painting and stuff. And that was, yeah. didn't realize it, but that was a really good move, you know. Um, and, you know, I'm more, I'm more financially secure as a result of it as well, which, which may, again, makes it easier now to, to like really dedicate and create time for my art. It was a slower path. And I did find that frustrating at times watching my friends you know, 
having shows and getting into overseas galleries and group shows, you know, five, six, seven years earlier than me. But um, yeah, now I feel like I can kind of, um, I don't know, maybe it sounds a bit crass, but I can kind of amplify my my effort because I have all those skills. Yeah, I, I like I feel that the time's always right when it's happening for you, though. Like, as you know, five, six, seven years ago, would you have been ready for international shows and stuff like that? Because like, no, I, I thought that about no. myself for years. Because I, I hung out with a whole bunch of artists in in London back in you know two thousand and one, yeah. and we we did like small shows together there. That was when I did my first ever exhibitions. And yep. uh, I watched a lot of these artists go on and make really big names for themselves. And I was always watching them going, oh, that could have been me and this and that. But like in hindsight now, I wouldn't have been ready back then for no. the opportunities that they were getting. Like I was just a graph writer <laughs> who did a bit of art <laughs> on the side. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I wasn't an artist yet. I was, um, I, was yeah. I was still trying to figure it all out. So as much as I can sort of boo-hoo it, it at the time, I, like I reflect on it now, I just go, you know what? Like everything's happening in perfect time. Yeah, and I think, I think, I, yeah, I didn't mean that I should have done it back then. I think it's more that like I beat myself up a bit back then, and you know that wasn't smart. But and I think like looking back at it though, it, my path that that's yeah, I wasn't ready for it then. But choosing something because I just bumbled into it, and I guess I'm trying to like I'm post rationalizing my life now, but like working in design and working in something that was adjacent that I could, you know, have an income from and then work, you know, just sort of slowly work on my art on the side. Like that has been really useful without realizing it. Mm. And I shouldn't have beat myself up at the time for not getting shows and for my art not being what it wanted to look like. You know, a lot of my work back then I'd look back now and go, oh gosh, that was yeah, pretty, pretty immature, not particularly interesting. Um, I wasn't ready. Mm. Um, but I was doing stuff that now that I am ready, makes it so much easier you know like i like i don't have to pay a graphic designer to do stuff that's a cost that i don't have to bear um i do you know engage professional photographers from time to time but if i just need to take a photo of my canvas i can do that too like they're all skills like you know if you if you looking down the barrel of like i want to be a full-time artist and you've known that since you were 10 and you get to i don't know 18 19 you feel like oh i'm not you know either it's not working out or i'm not quite ready for it well maybe choose a career that will then help you be an artist in the future i guess mm. that's 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 what i'm saying you know like that was turned out to be really bloody useful yeah and it also like it's it's opening doors you know like the stuff i did through vibrance and the stuff we continue to do like you know i like I, I was able to use those sorts of contacts to get a really large mural commission um and that was just me directly talking to someone in the state government saying hey that's a pretty boring state robot over here and like I wouldn't have had the confidence to cold email someone like that without having done the same sorts of things for the Vibrance Festival. Um, mm. So yeah, I don't know. I beat myself up a lot around then for not kind of getting where I wanted to be as fast as I wanted to be. But um, it turned out I was doing exactly what I needed, which was just um, yeah, doing doing good work and working with good people. Yeah, mate, you got you got youth on your side. You got heaps of experience under your belt for your age. Oh yeah, and I'm not here. Yeah, <laughs> really, yeah, yeah, totally. No, I, I get, I get that. Um, yeah. I'm like a, like I'm part programmer, so like, I, I'm always trying to ra rationalize things into into like things that become logical. You know, I kind of look back at things and kind of go like often. A lot of my friends will hear me talk about like my last few years of my life is like a chess game that I've been playing, and it's never happening. 
it's never happening in real time never choosing to make the moves but i'm looking back and trying to rationalize what those moves were into a pathway and i don't know it just sort of like looking at the world like that um helps me feel like i am on a pathway but you know other people can be a bit, you know they might be a little bit more timey-wimey wishy-washy yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, as I say that, you know, you can only join the dots looking backwards, but I think it's really important to sort of have something that you're working towards, like a vision, you know, Mm. because otherwise you just take like weeks just disappear. I've had decades disappear on me just in jobs I wasn't even happy in just Mm. because I was comfortable, you know, (laughs) but uh, I feel right now, like even as an artist, you know, it's like very turbulent times with interest rates and all that. So, you know, people buy Mm. art, then they don't and all that. I think it's um important to sort of have a bit of uh, a focus and direction because uh, yeah. otherwise, um, you know, I don't know, you can drive yourself a bit insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that was a really nice way of putting it, that like, yeah, it is it is good to feel like you have some direction. And I didn't know what that direction was until the last couple of years. You know, I was doing a lot of stuff that I really enjoyed and loved, like Vibrance. I've gotten so much out of that. I've loved that, working for Neon Jungle. Again, like they're like my family. I still miss them. But it didn't feel like a path, you know, mm. um, until it, until it did. And I only, it only did when I started looking back at it and, um, yeah, turning it into, like I describe it as a chess game in my head or it's like, I can see what the moves are, but I didn't know what the end goal was, but, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As, mm. as my wife and I always say, everything's perfect always. It's hard, hard, hard to work, hard to realize at the time sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, so with with Vibrance Festival, were you part of that? Like, I mean, were you um, one of part of the founding team of that? Yeah. So, so Vibrance came about in um, 2017. Um, I was having some. There were a couple of things happening. Um, I was having some conversations with local council here about um, their mural program. They had a great mural program but they were struggling to reach local street artists and graffiti artists. Um, they got some fantastic commissions from a couple of local, local artists, but a lot of their mural commissions were going outside of Tasmania and I think even possibly one international, but, um, and that's like, that's fantastic, but the scene had never had any support. And so this, the scene really needed some support, like the street artists and graffiti artists scene. So I reached out to them um and kind of said you know was just sort of letting them know that there are people out there that they could be selecting for these opportunities that would do it you know an absolutely outstanding job and it would be career making for them um it would start to be you know put them on, on that kind of path and then at the same time i wanted to paint really big walls i was looking at what other people were doing um, and it was reasonably early in like street art festival land but there were a few around and i was like well how do you paint big like really big walls and most of them were being painted at street art festivals so then that that just sort of turned into a conversation with the council and then all of a sudden you know um i got a little bit of money from the the council from city of hobart um and i borrowed some money from the bank um and yeah ran our first street art festival in 2017 like obviously that wasn't something i could pull off on my own so um there was some some friends of mine rory dick and um and sid Sid Davies that I kind of pulled into it and they helped me run the first one and then after that it went really well you know the artworks themselves were really well received um there were you know as always there was you know some some complexities with the street art community but they were broadly supportive of it too 
and then so then Rory and I decided to form a partnership and sort of move that forward and then you know so we did another major festival in 2018 and then we did another major festival in 2021 but between all of those we also just started doing other smaller projects whether or not that was you know we did a a mural trail out in um Glenorchy um called the corridor of mural art and that was sort of like 10 large-scale murals along the bike track and um yeah it's just sort of become you know something bigger than we ever thought it was going to be um and that's been yeah so i guess that's really been the focus of my life for the last five years five or six years um and you know sort of building that up and developing relationships trying to make it financially sustainable which is you know getting harder and harder but also trying to really like really work with the street art and graffiti community like that's where we're from so you know like we quite regularly get councils coming in to us and saying hey we've got this wall covered in graffiti can you know can we paint something on it and we'd be like well actually that that wall probably shouldn't be painted there's some fairly historical work on that or like those sorts of walls you know they're just never going to come back if we paint them so we tend to try and educate which is a, which is a weird process educate councils on like the fact that um if you if you want to create like if you want to do positive stuff in the street art graffiti art world you can't just go out there and find tag walls and paint over them it's a great way to generate hate and yeah. um you know and that like that doesn't you know we have painted over tags and throw ups and pieces from time to time but we've tried to be respectful about it um and there's you know for every wall that we've you know that's had a throw up on it or a piece on it that we've painted over um there's 10 more that we've said we shouldn't um and it's yeah it's amazing how receptive some councils have been some less and you know um those projects you know haven't kind of gone our way um but you know there's like a there's a really important laneway in in, in hobart called biden copes lane and that's you know been a meeting point for graffiti writers in in tasmania since the late 80s you know some of the first pieces that were painted down here were painted in there and they were painted by people who came down from melbourne and sydney and they kind of inspired some of the first generations of painters down here um and that that laneway has kind of been on a cycle of being you know a, a hot spot for well that sounds like what a that sounds like what a cleaner would say but like a you know a place for graffiti to happen and then it would get buffed and then it would, graffiti would crop up and it would sort of be vibrant again and then it would get buffed and it was this this cycle i think i've seen that happen three times in my life uh, in biden copes lane um and then that the last time it got buffed was the catalyst for the 2018 festival you know they buffed it then the council actually got a bunch of flack from from building owners because they all love the street art in there and so they kind of said, well, how about for the next street art festival, we repaint all the walls that have been buffed. But as part of that, there was this, there's this really tall wall there that's got a fire escape on it. It's covered in thousands of tags and stickers and stencils. And it's like one of those true old walls that's like literally built up over 30 or 40 years of, of small bits of graffiti. You know, there's like old ha-ha stencils on there. There's old, you know, like orca stencils there. There's really, you know, old ignore. There's like, there's 70K. There's like every, you know, like the whole of like really Australian <laughs> graffiti street art history is on that wall. You know, there's Empire, there's Jarman, there's um, Ghost Patrol. There's like, you know, there's so much stuff on there. Um, and the building owner wanted to have it painted as part of the festival or have it painted grey. Um, but conversations we had with the council about the fact that actually this is like one of the only walls left like that in Tasmania and it's, you know, it's a real cultural asset. Um, 
yeah, kind of kind of meant that the council said, well, actually, no, we're not going to support you painting it, and they need to get a planning permit to get it painted. So that kind of conversation ended there. Um, and that was, yeah, that was a pretty weird conversation to have. Um, and I was surprised at how receptive people were to it. But, you know, it's it's true. Like, um, those sorts of walls are running out. I don't know if it's the same in Melbourne, but certainly in Hobart. Um, uh, yeah, everything's pretty high turnover in Melbourne, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but yeah. there are, like, it, it is, like, more and more there's people like you getting in the ears of the people who are doing the the buffing and mm. things are getting preserved but um yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty rare that that sort of yeah. stuff happens like it's good to have um, people like yourself in that position it's not it's not preserved it's like it's just to, yeah it's not like oh. there's a piece of plastic over it but it could still it's still raw and people are still painting it but i guess the thing is that it's just left to the community it's not legal like uh, i wouldn't want to see it legal either mm. like but it's just been left yeah and um yeah yeah so yeah do you do you um do you hook yourself up with many many jobs through through the business do you do the ones come in and go you go oh that's a pretty good project i might uh might take that one for myself no i would see that as a pretty deep conflict of interest <laughs> <laughs> really <laughs> yeah uh like occasionally occasionally yes but like maybe twice um yeah. that's happened the vast majority of the times um, you know, we because we get grant funding. You know, like we're um, like we're not a not for profit, yeah. but we operate like one. Um, we've got pretty strong moral principles on on how we should be spending the money. At the end of the day, it's taxpayer money, um, and you know our mission statement is to support street artists and graffiti artists in Tasmania, particularly Tasmanian street artists and graffiti artists. And if people, you know, if people are emailing me with a great job, um, on the you know like on the back of what has effectively been a mostly public publicly funded enterprise then yeah i think that would be a little bit dubious but yeah. i have had a few i've certainly but i've certainly benefited massively from it in terms of experience and connections so no i haven't had jobs directly through it but through um you know like i said like i was i had the confidence and like i knew the phone number to call to talk to the state roads authority and then to get approval so that i could apply for a grant to paint you know a very large mural and like i wouldn't have known how to do that i wouldn't have known the process i had to go through in terms of like the paperwork and stuff like that if i hadn't done similar things for vibrance so i've definitely benefited from it but um yeah now we try and spread we also like we really try and spread work around as well like we've got artists that we work with regularly but um at a certain point they're kind of working well on their own steam and so unless a job really makes sense we try and sort of find someone that maybe like this job is like would be a step up for them like a bigger wall or in a, a wall with a new medium or something like that i don't know um we're trying to operate as a catalyst as much as we can yeah yeah no it's good mm. that's good yeah i i know i i hadn't even thought about that you know considered i would have thought that mm. uh <laughs> i would have hooked myself up oh <laughs> uh, yeah like, yeah I mean, but anyway it's it's, it's, it's differently than yeah. that'd be fine. like we do operate different like there are other agencies out there like all power to them and they operate very differently they operate more like an architect or like a public art company you know where yeah most of them but the thing is that down here like you couldn't run you couldn't run an agency like that there's so the budgets are so slim there's really only two councils down here that have that even have a public arts budget at, at all um so most of the other councils we're working with like we're working with them and you know they might be kicking in a little bit but it's mostly us applying for grants from the state arts funding body or from 
sometimes federal funding um, or yeah, that kind of thing. That's um, yeah. And again, like sponsorships really hard down here. Our market's tiny. So, you know, we've have been really well supported by um, particularly MTN over the years. Um, but like, you know, that's uh, yeah, it's a, I don't know if, yeah, it's a hard, <laughs> it's a, it's always a hard conversation with all of those sorts of companies where it's like some of them don't even sell stuff down here. And it's like, well, why would they give us thousands of bucks worth of gear for free if they can't even, you know, they're not even getting anything back from it. So yeah. Yeah. It's a different sort of environment to trying to raise money to, um, and you know, like we, we, we really pride ourselves on like paying our artists in line with like, there's something called like the, uh, Nava, which is like the, they're like a national body that kind of represents and lobbies for artists. They've got these payment guidelines. And so we always try and pay in line with those, which, um, is often, you know, a lot higher than you would get paid in like for a private job when, you know, you, you're an artist, like sometimes you, people haggle with you, which is a bit offensive, but, um, yeah. So it's all part of doing know. business though, isn't it? The yeah, just, it uh... is, it is, but we, we, sorry, we, we really work from a place of making sure people get paid well. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah. So that's just the way that, way that we work. It's funny. I've had people. It's funny, I've had arguments with people before about like people who just want to paint walls and like they're like, well, can't you just hook us up with a wall? And like I will personally outside of my vibrant stuff, but I don't know, that sort of, you know, <clears throat> like when we run festivals, we kind of have a fairly blanket statement, which is like artists get paid mm. and I could find 10 more walls for artists that don't get paid, but that would kind of undermine um the work we're trying to do in making sure that people get paid <laughs> you know sure. but then i've had um people kind of get angry at me about that over the years too so i don't know yeah uh, good on you it's good to have people like you in the industry <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. well yeah we try keep, keep an artist employed it's good yeah and it's yeah and i should say it's like it's i'm only one half of vibrance so rory dick is the other half and you know we're both on the same page about all that before we get into the next section of the podcast, I want to take a moment to say a special thanks to today's sponsor, the Art Career Academy, a new online school for the career artist. This academy supports artists to build the art career they desire, and I'm especially excited to let you know that I'm on the teaching staff of this innovative school. So, if you're frustrated in not knowing how to build your art career and you want to feel confident and clear on the pathway forward, then head to artcareeracademy.com to go on the waitlist for the November intake of their course, Going Pro. If you feel like this is for you, then we'd love to have you join us. Okay, let's get back to the episode. All right, Johnny, are you uh, are you ready for some uh, rapid fire questions? Oh, lay them on me. All righty. Uh, name an artist who you think deserves more shine. Uh, yeah, okay. I've heard you ask this one. This is hard. I actually got a few, but I've got. So the first one, they're all locals uh, mostly, or have been local. Top Squan. He's like a local writer. He's been painting down here for like I believe twenty, at least twenty five years, and he is one of the clever, cleverest people ever met. Meet. He can turn kind of anything into gold. Um, you know, he does these amazing cartoons that, uh, that, and you know, he can paint anything you want to stick out. He's a, he's always been a great mentor to me. So, um, yeah, I'd always I'd love to see him getting some more shine. Um, then a few other artists that like I just that are local who I you know I don't know I love their work and would always love to see them 
I don't know, more broadly represented, although some of them are represented, is uh, Eloise Kirk and Georgia Morgan, uh, Rob O'Connor and Alex Davin. They're, all their work, whenever I see it, I just love it and I inspect it and I pick it apart. Um, they're all really lovely people um, with very disparate styles and, yeah, I'd like all um, all six of them to go to the moon. Six? Five. Yeah. That's, that's good. I'll have to uh, have to look up their work. Yeah, yeah, I can. I'll drop you some uh, some Insta handles. Thanks. Um, what's one medium you'd love to work with? Um, I'd love to work with drone swarms. That would be really fun. Um, but I don't see that happening for a while. But I'd also really like to work with bronze, um, bronze casting. Uh, again, probably a while off and welding and metal in general, but particularly bronze. Yeah, there's just something about it. Um, my grandfather's got a, uh, a bronze bust for some reason, and I just love touching it. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah. Bronze comes up a lot in this podcast when I ask that question. I think yeah, it's, it's uh, the fact that it's indestructible and all that. People want, the, uh, want something that's going to last longer than them, you know. Yeah, this is. I said this to my partner the other day, and it didn't go down super well. What I, my first thought with bronze was to take to like to get a metal cast of my my head, and then go and bury it in a cliff, um, <laughs> which is you know extraordinarily egocentric. So I probably probably shouldn't do that. Ah, oh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm a good figure, so I have to I have to admit to having somewhat some kind of an ego. Was yeah, pretty well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But also, it's a, a, a people want want their art to live beyond them. You know, it's um, yeah, yeah. Like, why not? Um, yeah. what's one skill you wish you had? I, I often wish I had a better grasp of maths and physics. Um, people think programmers know maths, but I just get computers to do maths for me. But um, yeah, there's often a lot of like papers I'm reading, or um, I'm quite into like, um, like science-based philosophy um stephen wolfram he's an amazing writer about um like the world and he takes a very like computational view to understanding the world philosophically and i get about a third of the way through all of his papers or posts and then i'm like okay this is like i actually just need to have a better understanding of physics and maths for this so i really wish i really wish i had a better grasp of those two things yeah man it sounds complicated mm. but um you read about this stuff eh? Yeah, I try to. Yeah, I try to. A lot of, um, yeah, a lot of the work that I'm kind of working towards is, is sort of about trying to understand like just the, the sheer complexity of, of our world, kind of at, at a really micro level, but also like at a really zoomed out level. Mm. Um, Stephen Wilson's got some really interesting writings about that. You know, these ideas of the the Rouliad, and I don't know. There, yeah. If there's anyone out there that's kind of interested in maths computers and um philosophy then i really um suggest you go and read some stephen wolfram and then hit me up because i'd love some people to talk to about it really <laughs> <good>. <laughs> yeah yeah um so who are some of your uh, favorite artists favorite artists so um favorite favorite living artists probably pant one or pantone i'm never sure is it pant one or is it pantone uh well it's pantone from like the pantone color charts but like in spain he says uh pantone 
Okay. But, um, but yeah, yeah, but it's just, it's like from the color charts. So however yeah. you'd say that. Yeah, right. But anyway, love, love their work. Um, and I kind of, yeah, love their work. Uh, Neil Haddon, local painter, really beautiful aesthetic and kind of interesting ideas. Um, Zessa and Askew, they were always the writers that um, I was really, really into. Sabre as well. Like I grew up, um, in fact, all LA graffiti writers, that was what I really just, that was, that was what I frothed over first. Um, actually, actually, it wasn't. The first, <laughs> in a very different capacity, the first, so the, the stuff that got me into street art when I was really, really young was um, was Ghost Patrol. Um, I picked up a, a book called Street Art Uncut by Matthew Lunn, um, and I was maybe 14 at the time. And uh, it was kind of before I got into being a fairly angry teenager. Um, and so I used to, <laughs> used to go into the laneways of Sandy Bay and write love letters to my various partners at the time. Um, and I, yeah, it was in a very Ghost Patrol aesthetic. Um, so, yeah, Ghost Patrol would have to be up there as well. Uh, actually, do you want to know something really embarrassing? Is this a good Mate, forum? Tell, tell the world. Go for it. Yeah, this is, this is a good forum for something really. So the first first words, well, the first word that I wrote back when I was um, 15 was, so I was like, I was reading this book and I was like, oh, I've got to have a word so I can start painting. Um, and I really liked Ghost Patrol. The key's in the name, Ghost Patrol. So then I started thinking of a name and I came up with Soul Rider which is just very much um, riffing on Ghost Patrol. And uh, I remember posting on, I remember posting on Stencil Revolution. Do you remember Stencil Revolution? Yeah. Yeah, I remember posting on, posting on Stencil Revolution and a bunch of people picked up on it because I was, you know, I was like 14, 15 and my work was very Ghost Patrol-y and my name was Soul Rider. Um, anyway, um, yeah, if he's listening, I hope he gets a chuckle about it. Yeah. Out of that. Do you get dissed uh, on the internet as a kid? Yeah, I'll get dissed on the internet. I look forward to that. <laughs> forward to that. Uh, anyway, back to favorite artists. Um, someone I've just recently discovered is uh, Miyoko Ito. Um, I believe Japanese-born, Japanese-American artist. Uh, their work's just absolutely phenomenal. Um, yeah, that's probably the, the work that I'm frothing over the most at the moment. Hmm. Their, yeah, paintings. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um. So do you uh, do you keep regular work hours? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I I used to work four days a week, but over the last two years now, I'm five days a week. Yeah, and so I kind of get here around um, nine, and then work till between five and six. And I try to be fairly structured, so I use um, I use Asana a lot and like that runs my week so every every monday i spend 15 minutes sort of like organizing all the tasks i need to get done and i organize everything and i organize my personal life in there now too because i'm juggling so many things and um yeah that works really well so yeah i'm fairly fairly structured yeah hmm. that's uh I, I guess you sort of need that if you're running a business if you, you sound like you've got a pretty complex life and you've got uh hours of you know being in an office with other yeah. people <laughs> oh yeah and i mean i think it's just the way i work you know like i, mm. I come from a 
like working in a design agency where you're like you're logging your hours against clients and blah 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 blah. like that's just how I learned how to be productive Um, I'm actually a naturally very chaotic person but I like my my studio is probably best described as a nest there's like just stuff all up around me but I find that quite comforting yeah Um, but yeah yeah but yeah I rely on tools and systems to get work done yeah good stuff Um, whatever keeps you productive eh yeah (laughs) that's right yeah Yeah. it's a theory yeah. Um, do you have a dream project you'd love to work on? Yeah, I, I do. I've kind of kind of been working on it for a couple of years, but I reckon it'll take a while longer. What I'd really love to do is I'd love to build a massive like sculpture garden that has solar panels so I can do off-grid like new media and projection stuff. But um, like this is, you know, pies in the sky. Like someone just gives you an unlimited budget and says like, hey, go spend 10 years doing this. Yeah, I'd love like like an old quarry or something where I can just make stuff and, but I've got off grid power there so I can make tech stuff there and I can paint and, you know, yeah, combine bits of metal and bronze and bitumen and paint. That'd be sick. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, yeah. it's all, all possible. All that stuff yeah, that exists, right. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someone hit me up. I'll do that. Got yeah. A big backyard. Yeah. I'll make it. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so where are you wanting to take your art career? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. There's like, if I'm at the pub and I've had a couple, then I'll, I would say something along the lines of, I would, like, my dream, <laughs> my dream is to have the resources to create works on the scale of like Ryoji Akita or James Turrell, but that's like, you know, that's like winning the lottery ten times in a row. That's extremely unlikely. Um, but so what I really would like to do, which, I'm, which I think is realistic, is to be able to be creating like one body of serious paintings that are well considered a year and then sort of one big sculpture slash installation a year and kind of like sort of spend six months on each and somehow that be financially sustainable. Mm. Um, you know, and I, um, whether or not that's, you know, doing other little bits of freelance in the background to sort of fit that in as long as you know the vast majority of my time can be spent on that yeah. but that's yeah, pretty realistic that. though for an artist I yeah I hope so. yeah totally yeah. yeah i hope so um yeah but I'd, I'd love to yeah be able to slow down you know and spend weeks on a painting <laughs> mm. <laughs> that'd be amazing yeah um, how, how long does each painting usually take you i'm pretty process based so like a lot of my work is is in like is kind of in coming up with what it is and then once it's pretty like it's either sketching or like montaging kind of images together or painting on the street like an idea that's in my head and then deciding to pull it on the canvas and usually by the time it gets to canvas it's pretty quick mm. um so like i did a whole big series of these gold um paintings which like i took the style of those masks and then turned them into full like humanoid figures and they were all inspired by um by like football players when they're like just at the moment of being injured um and most of the time for that was spent at the pub in queenstown waiting for football players to get injured and then later on googling because that was just going to take too long but yeah most of the time was just sort of sketching in a very casual capacity and then each of those canvases maybe only took a couple of hours you know like painting with spray paints quick mm. um it's the idea and the perform that's hard <laughs> so yeah and yeah and that's i'm doing a lot more abstract work and again it's the same sort of thing um at the moment i'm doing a lot of abstract work that it's like 
finding shapes, particularly rectangles and triangles that sort of line up out in the world, taking photos of them, and then like creating outlines around those basic shapes and then keeping the relationship between those shapes, taking multiple photos and then overlaying that kind of over each other um, to create sort of abstract works. And it's the taking the photos that takes the time because I'm kind of, I don't want to make the shapes myself, but like the painting of them will take, yeah, like half a day once, yeah. once, once it's all there, but it's the, yeah, it's that kind of collecting that takes time. <laughs> yeah. It's all part yeah. of the process, eh? It's like some, yeah, it. some some parts take longer than others. Yeah, 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 that's it. The painting time is, yeah, probably only 10% of most yeah. of my work. It's the, it's the collecting of ideas and textures that take time. Yeah. Mm. So do you have uh, do you have any um, future plans or projects in the pipeline? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a few. I've got, um, uh, yeah, there's, there's lots. It's just trying to work out what, which one I'm gonna actually do. I've got a series of got a series of paintings that I just bought some stretcher bars for yesterday. Um, that's actually based on a bunch of photos I took in Melbourne, actually. Um, so that I'm hoping, but to, before I can do that, I need to build a bigger studio. So that's probably my next project is to build. I need to build another set of mobile walls. Because um, our warehouse is like one part paint shop and then one part workshop slash storage for the festival and the projects. And then we've got like a mini, mini, mini gallery. And then my studio is kind of like what's left over. So it's pretty small. So what we're doing is we're going to build some mobile walls so that we can turn the gallery into like a pop-up studio. So between, between gallery shows, I'll have a studio that's bigger and um, I'll use my project management skills to make that work. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And organizational skills, eh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so um yeah. So uh so where's the best place for people to see your work online? Uh I've got a website, johnnyskulls.com. Um I'm also on Instagram and unfortunately that is the place that is most up to date. Um yeah, they're probably the two best places. I mean, I'm on like all the other things. If you go to my website and scroll right down to the bottom, you can see all the social networks um, that I'm active on. Uh, but I did just leave Twitter, so or X or whatever. <laughs> um, so don't don't follow me there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hit my website up. That's that's got like the work that I'm most interested in working on on it at the moment and a selection of my walls and stuff. But um, yeah, if anyone's ever in Hobart though. Um, I love like hanging out with fellow artists and showing artists around Hobart, whether or not it's, um, you know, galleries or laneways or drains or whatever. So yeah, if anyone's out there coming to Hobart, drop me a line on Instagram and um, we'll hang out. Cool. I, I I wouldn't mind going down to Hobart again. It's been a while. Love that place. Yeah. Oh, that, that invitation extends to you too, of course. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you got my phone number, so, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, Johnny. Well, thanks for uh, taking the time to sit down and have a chat. Uh, it's been good to finally get this done, and uh, and it's just been great to hear about more about your work and what you've been up to. I think um I think you've done so much in between 2018 and now, um from when we first had our conversation about doing this. So, as we said before, everything's timed absolutely perfect. Yeah. Thanks, mate. I do. Yeah. I feel like it it was just the right time to chat. So, thanks for having me. And um like. 
keep up the good work with this podcast as well. It's um it's definitely one of my favorite podcasts. I know a lot of artists down here love it as well. So thanks for putting the time into it. You know, some um, community needs needs these these people like you to connect people. So thanks. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it.